today you may have kind of put two and two together is a lot about kids and students. Um, we, we are talking in this series until every person knows about uh, the four things we do as a church and why we do them. And one of those things is our kids and students college ministry. Uh, so the connection kids, babies through uh, fifth grade, uh, middle school and high school ministry, and then the college ministry that we also have. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today is kind of the why of that. If you're wondering about what we do, that's, you can find that on the website. We'd be glad to talk to you about it. But really what I want to talk to you about today is the why. And for some of us, we hear this and maybe our children are grown. Maybe um, our children, we don't have children. Maybe we will have children one day or, or um, and we hear it and we're like, maybe this doesn't necessarily apply to me so much, but it, it really does. For, for one thing, um, some of you do have children and this is not gonna just be about what we do in Connection Kids. This is gonna be about who we are as Christians and as parents. Some of you one day will have children and so it's important for you to begin to lay a foundation of what it looks like to be a godly parent and to raise our children to know the Lord. Um, many of you here are called to lead children to Christ in some way. In fact, all of us are called to participate in some way. Um, it may be your own children. It could be serving in Connection Kids. It could be both. It could be serving in Connection Students or serving with uh, Connection College. And so we're all called to participate in that. And here's another thing, and this is one of the things we're going to talk about today as part of this message, is what we as adults learn about ourselves and about Jesus through the way Jesus saw and loved children. And so I want to read some scripture to us uh, as we jump into this. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, these are all passages you hear a lot, but I want us to look at these a little further. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verse 4, it says this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Then over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, if we look at the first five verses, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed a child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. One more passage over in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. It says, then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. The thing I want to point out first with these scriptures is that scripture gives us a very clear mandate for the fact that we are to lead 
children to the Lord. It's very clear all throughout scripture, this is a mandate given to us. Um, and when you really begin to look at it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we, we looked this week at some statistics of people coming to know the Lord and, and belief in God and these things. It was really fascinating. One survey found that two thirds of Christians come to faith before the age of 18. Two thirds before the age of 18. 43% of those who come to faith before the age of 18 come to faith before the age of 12. Less than one quarter of Christians come to faith after 21 years old. Another study, they surveyed 25,000 teens. Now, not Christians, not all Christians, just 25,000 teens from around the world. 47% of all those surveyed believed that Jesus was crucified. To me, that's a pretty amazing statistic that people from all different backgrounds, all different faiths, everything, almost half of those survey, surveyed out of 25,000 believed that Jesus was crucified. 40, or 21% believed that Jesus is active in the world today. If you take those 25,000 who were Christians, uh, those who are Christians out of those 25,000, 61% believe that Jesus was crucified, 50% believe Jesus was raised from the dead, and 32% believe he's active in the world today. Now, here's the little issue I have with this. It's kind of hard to be a Christian. If you don't believe Jesus was crucified, you don't believe he was raised from the dead, uh, and you don't believe he's active in the world today. So we look at this, and, and there's a scripture in Romans 10, 9 that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, then you will be saved. And so that is a very, um, very much a tenet of our faith, right? That we believe these things. And I look at this, and I realize that most of these people came to faith before they were 18. Most of them, uh, most of those came to faith before they were 12. And yet there's all of these gaps in their understanding. There's gaps in, in what they know and, and what they really believe and do they really know what they believe. And that's an issue today, especially in a world that is constantly bombarding them with misinformation about God, about themselves, about life, about why we're here and what we're here for. The thing I want you to understand is that is one of the major purposes for us to have a kids ministry, a student ministry, a college ministry. I want you to understand that back there in Connection Kids, we don't babysit. It is ministry. Even the little babies, they're getting prayed over. When I'm not preaching and they got a bunch of babies, a lot of times Olivia, Olivia will text me and say, hey, can you come help? And it's so funny, like I walk in and they don't see many guys in the baby nursery, right? And I walk in and they, these one-year-olds are like. And then they just start crying. I don't know what it is about me. I just got that look, I guess. And so they, they just start crying. But I say this to say like when we're in there, it's not just just trying to keep them from crying. It's, they're praying over these babies. There's, there's ministry that happens. It's, it's not babysitting. It is pouring into them the gospel. 
There's videos. It's usually my go-to. There's videos playing with worship music and people dancing. And I'm like, look, 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 just trying to get their attention on something else. Right? Look, 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 Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Help. Right? And so we want to pour into these children, these students, these college students. And with Connection Kids, we really want them to learn to love. We want them to really begin to learn to love and to live for God. That is the whole point of what we do. We want them to get this. With our students, we want them to own their own faith. See, no one's ever been saved because of their parents' faith. No one's ever been saved because of their grandparents' faith. We are saved when we come to our own faith. And in that middle school to high school age is a time when they begin to really wrestle with things and it has to become their faith. And I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Kids ministry can be tough. Olivia does an incredible job. But listen, I'm gonna tell you, I think middle school ministry is the hardest ministry in the church. I am 100% convinced that from the sixth grade to the eighth grade, your child becomes an alien. 100%, because I was a youth pastor. And some of the things I saw sixth through eighth graders do, it don't make a bit of sense. I remember preaching at times and I had one kid one time that literally got up, walked over and put three chairs together and then just laid back on his back on the chairs. I watched another kid for just about the whole time I talked, pick his nose. <laughs> they're just talking, they're, you know, and, and people are like, now they're like, hey, did you, you hear that baby crying in the service? I'm like, there was a baby? It doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm, I've done all that, right? I've seen all that. It's tough. It's tough. I remember when we first started the church and we were trying to get a, a student ministry going, and we had like four or five uh, teenagers and so we tried to start this student ministry and they were coming for a little while and then it kind of disappeared. And I remember one morning I stood up and I put the definition of group up on a, the, the slide, up on the screen. And I turned around and I told them, I said, due to lack of a group, we will no longer be having youth ministry, right? There's no youth group, there's nobody. It was tough, it's hard to get that going. It's a challenging ministry. But we want these young men and young women to own their faith, to grab hold of it themselves, for them to wrestle with tough questions and have people to guide them in that. With Connection College, we really want this to be a place that's like a home away from home. I think about when my son went to college, I wanted a place for him that's a, a, something that could be that for him. Now, he wasn't that far away. He'd just come back, you know, most Sundays. But I think about my niece and my nephew who are in Athens, and I'm so thankful that we have Athens uh, Connection Church up there now, a place that they can go and find a home. And we want to do that here. And in all of these ministries, we want to accomplish two things. One is we want to supplement and support what happens in the Christian home. And two, we want to impact those who aren't or weren't raised in a Christian home. With 
Connection Kids and students, we wanna supplement and support what you're doing with your children spiritually. And I want you to understand this today. Plan A for children's discipleship, their growth in the Lord, them coming to know the Lord. Plan A is the family. It is the family. When you look at these statistics, it shows us that what, what really matters is that at an early age, they are exposed to the gospel. They hear about Christ. They hear about the reason for this. It's important that their worldview is being shaped biblically early on, that it gets established quickly. We need to understand that what we speak and how we speak will determine much of how they speak to themselves. We have to begin to establish their worldview because understand this, if we don't establish their worldview, the world and culture will establish it for them. Understand it'll be TikTok, it'll be Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, the media, it'll be the entertainment industry, none of which have our children's best in mind. We have to see this. And I'm gonna challenge you a little bit with this. The church raising your children in the faith is part of the broken system that has diminished the church. Let me explain this. The broken system is where we look to a few people in the church, the professionals, to do the ministry. It's easier to pay someone to lead your kids closer to Jesus and be responsible for their discipleship than it is to do it ourselves. Most parents, listen, most parents, if we're really honest, if we're really honest, more are concerned that their kids aren't drinking, they're not doing drugs, that they're not having sex, that they're not getting arrested, that they're not in some way embarrassing the family than they are really loving and following Jesus. So much of church has been, hey, I'm gonna take my kids so that hopefully they'll turn out to be good people. But the point of your kids, your children knowing Jesus is not so that they'll be good people, it's so they will be alive. It's so they will come to life and live a life that is honoring and glorifying to Jesus. It is the same reason that Jesus calls you, not so that you'll be a good moral person, but so that you will be alive. I have to be careful, so I use the word kids a lot um, instead of children. When we first started the church, I had a guy call me and ask about uh, a, a youth ministry. And I said, well, how many kids do you have? He said, I don't have kids, sir. I have children. Kids are baby goats. I wanted to call him another barnyard animal. <laughs> I didn't. But lead us to say, they're no longer here. But it is important that our children, our kids, our baby goats grow up knowing the Lord, that we are investing this in them at an early age. See, if all your children get is Sunday morning or Sunday night students, then your lives are what I would call compartmentalized. 
They're very compartmentalized if that's all they're getting. It means your life is segregated, separated. It's not connected. It means that Jesus is just a drawer in the chest. He's not the chest that holds all the drawers. And so all they're seeing is this one part. And if you really want to know why I believe 32% of professing Christian teens don't believe Jesus is active in the world today, it's because all they've seen typically is compartmentalized Christianity. They haven't seen it integrated into the entire life of their parents. It's just something we do on Sunday or something they do on Sunday night. See, if you think about it, supplements are never enough to sustain life. Like it's great to take vitamins. If you work out, it's great to take protein. But if that's all you ever took, you're gonna die. There has to be more to bring life. There has to be more put in. There has to be more to, to, to grow from. And plan A is in the home. When it's compartmentalized and it's not holistic, it's not integrated. Jesus is just this idea. He's not a reality. And I would tell you this, listen, if you're not doing anything spiritually with your children, then I would encourage you, go buy a devotional. Just start reading a devotional with them. Just start sharing with them in some way. But I would encourage you even more to start living it, integrated into your whole life, that Jesus isn't a drawer, but he's the entire chest. He touches every single part of our life. Your devotion to Jesus lived out in front of your kids will be the greatest devotion that your children will ever read. And John 15 tells us this, that if we will abide in Christ, that we will produce fruit. An abiding parent, a parent that abides in Jesus will be a fruitful parent. It doesn't mean that your children are gonna grow up and, and not screw up and not make mistakes. But the promise is that there will be fruit in your life that they can see. And if you think about what's inside fruit is a seed. And when you have the fruit of Christ in your life, guess what? There are seeds in that fruit that gets planted in their heart. So we want to supplement, support what you are doing with your children. We want also to impact kids who aren't being led to Jesus in the home. We'll see this in a second, but when we look at this, uh, it, it should be apparent to us that from the scriptures we've already read that Jesus values children. And many times adults are impacted by Jesus because their children are impacted by Jesus. And we wanna be a part of bringing the gospel to those children who aren't in a Christian home. When it comes to college, we wanna build on the foundation of those who came from Christian homes. We wanna to continue to pour in and equip and help them grow, but we also wanna reach those who have never known Christ. 
What's amazing, when I read that statistic about less than one quarter of people who, who become Christians, become Christians after the age of 21, it made me realize how blessed we are to see how many people have come to know Jesus in this church because so many of them have been older. Here's what's incredible and what should show us the importance, one of the things that should show us the importance of college ministry. I was thinking about this last night. Three of the six Connection churches that have been started out of this church, three of those six Connection churches were started and led by young men who came to faith in this church as college students. That's pretty incredible. Billy Shiver, Buck Benton, Dustin Phillips, Vidalia, Dublin, Athens, by people who came to Christ here in college. Lives changed and changing lives through the gospel. What an incredible thing for us to see. But here's the thing, and I told you I wanted to get to this. These passages in Matthew, they don't just tell us about children. They tell us a lot about his view of children, yes, but they also tell us a lot about us. I wanna look at them just real quick one more time. It's short passages. Uh, in 18, it says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and looked and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. 19, 13 through 15. Then people brought, the little, chil brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now we look at this and it seems kind of harsh that the disciples would be like, get those children away from Jesus. But you gotta understand, in their culture, children were not thought of in the same way we think of children today, except maybe by their parents, right? Because all parents think that their children are great. They think that their babies are cute. And yet you look at the baby and you're like, mm, dang, you know, it's like, and they're like, look how precious, he's perfect. Facebook, perfect. I'm like, mm. Lord, help them grow out of it, you know? And, but, but for us, our children are, they're, they're like precious, they're perfect. In that day though, to other people, it wasn't that way. It wasn't that long ago that it was kind of like that way in our culture. I remember growing up and it'd be time to eat at my grandmother's house. And of course I'm starving, so I'm jumping in the front of, my line, of the line and all my, my dad and my uncles, they were all like, well, I remember back when I was little, we didn't eat till the adults were finished eating. I'm like, too bad for you. And, but it is just different. And so the disciples were not really being unkind or mean-spirited. They thought surely this teacher who is so important and so amazing is too busy to care for these children. And yet Mark, the Gospel of Mark tells us that when this happened, Jesus became indignant. He became frustrated. He was actually angry. He said, let them come to me. And when we see this, we begin to realize Jesus' heart for the children. And one of the reasons that Jesus had this heart for the kids is they were so dependent. 
And he tells us, unless you change and become like these children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And one thing I think this is telling us about our children, but also about ourselves is we have to realize our dependency on Christ. It can't be something where we think we can do it on our own. But there is a dependency. Jesus wanted these children to come. They knew their dependency. These children, at least when they're little, they, they don't know it all, right? They don't know it all. And you might say, well, my kid does, but why do they ask you a thousand questions a day if they know it all, right? In a 20-minute ride, they can ask you one million questions because they don't know it all. They're asking. It's where we need to understand, like, I don't know it all. I don't know it all. That's why the Bible tells us not to lean on our own understanding. Another reason I believe is because children respond honestly, right, to what they see. And we know this. How many of you have ever been told a hard truth by a four-year-old? Yeah, they just tell you, you're ugly. You're fat. You got a big nose. You're stupid. Just an honest reaction and you look and you're like, I do have a big nose. And it's just an honest reaction and that's what Jesus calls us to, is an honest reaction to who he is. And, and honest, not, a, not to play games, not to put up a facade, but an honest reaction to who he is. The other thing is that children don't reason away what is obvious. They'll accept what is obvious to them, right? They, they see it and it is what it is. The unique thing about Christianity is that reason and faith don't have to be separated. You can actually reason your way into belief because of all the evidence for Christianity. But the problem with reason in our culture and in the world, listen, I don't want this to like lose you, the problem with reason is that the world has taught us to start at the wrong place with our reasoning, or at least to look through the wrong lens, right? I was thinking about it like this. Brought these binoculars. Good Lord. Um, and think about it this way. Have you ever looked through a pair of binoculars backwards? Binoculars are supposed to bring things close. But if I turn them around and I look like this, you guys look like you're 200 yards away. And culture and the world around us has taught us to look the wrong way, to start in the wrong place with our reasoning. Rather than seeing what is obvious and accepting it, we've been taught to be skeptical about what is obvious. So think about this. If we were, you know, to have one of those little flashy things like men in black. Y'all remember that? This is before Will Smith started slapping people, but y'all remember the flashy thing? And they would flashy thing people and they just forget everything. They can erase memory or whatever they want to do. Give them a new start. Think about this. Let's flashy thing somebody and let's drop them in the middle of the world. Like let's, let's drop them on a tropical island. That sounds good, Miss Pat. Yeah, a tropical island. Let's drop them near the Grand Canyon. Let's drop them in the Rocky Mountains. 
Let's drop them somewhere. And they've been flashy things, right? They don't know anything. And you drop them there. What is their obvious conclusion going to be? Let me tell you what it's not gonna be. They're not gonna look at the mountains, the snow-capped mountains. They're not gonna look at the white beaches and, and the, the, the ocean waves and the beauty of creation. They're not gonna look at those things and go, I wonder what explosion calls this. True? They're not gonna look at people and look around and go, wow. It's amazing to think all these people crawled out of a mud puddle at some point. But we've been taught to ignore the obvious. See, children just see the obvious and they believe it. They see Jesus and he's blessing them and they, they can understand, they get it. We've been taught to look through the wrong lens, to start in the wrong place. How many of you like those uh, cold case podcasts? Anybody like to listen to those cold case podcasts where like maybe... 30 years ago, somebody disappeared and they're trying to figure out what happened or who it happened to. Anybody? Don't, don't be ashamed. I listen to anything. I don't think you go to hell for that. If you do, I need to repent. But, but they're just interesting, especially the ones when they finally discover it. Honestly, the majority of them, you get to the end and it's like, all right, that was kind of uneventful. But, but it's interesting. And one of the things that I heard in these podcasts is typically when you look at something like that, it's usually the most obvious and simple answer. But we've been taught to not accept what is obvious and simple like a child. And so our skepticism causes us to start at the wrong place. We look through the lens backwards and it seems that the greatest leap of faith is to come to the conclusion that there is a God, he created everything. God made a way for us sinful people to come to him when in reality, if we start in the right place, just what is obvious, we realize that God is a lot more obvious and a lot closer than what we realize. I think this is important to realize for us that we are a people who are dependent on God. We are a people who are dependent on God for every provision that he gives every raindrop that falls. We're, we're a people who are dependent on God for salvation because we can't bridge this gap that exists between us because we've all turned our back on him and walked away from him, breaking the relationship with God. And we need to come to this place where we make an honest response to what God offers. And we need to realize in many ways, the world has taught us to be skeptical about very obvious things. And we need to change and become like children to see who God is, what God has done, who we are apart from Christ and our need for Christ. And in dependency and humility and honesty, we bring ourselves before him, throw ourselves on his mercy and find life in Christ. And I realize this, guys, as we talk about children and our need and our dependency, I realize that for many parents in raising our kids to know Christ, many of us struggle to consistently put Christ in front of them. I know. I have my own struggles at times with this. Many parents carry guilt and shame 
because they haven't done that or they feel like if I had done more, my child would be different. They wouldn't have made that mistake. But I would remind you of this. Adam and Eve had the only perfect father that there is and they still screwed it up. Adam and Eve had the only perfect father that there is in intimate relationship with him. And not only did they make a mistake, but they caused the entire creation to be fallen. I would tell you this, that it's not too late. For you as a parent, it's not too late. It's not too late. I want you to understand, sometimes saying you are sorry is so much more powerful than getting it right all the time. Had to do this this week. Had a day, it was a rough day. Came home, being short. Everything bothered me that afternoon, like just breathing. Like, I'm like, will you please stop? Had to go to my children. Hey, buddy, sorry. I didn't talk to you the way I should. I didn't act the way I should. I'm sorry. Had to go to my other son. I'm sorry. And for some of us, we just need to humble ourselves and have courage and the humility to say, son, say, daughter, I'm sorry. It takes a big person, a strong person, person to say, I'm sorry. Weak people have to always be right. And maybe today you're in a place where you need to pray and ask the Lord to give you the strength to humble yourself. And the first place to start might be saying, I'm sorry. For some of you, you've got older children and you feel like I didn't do enough. The first thing I would encourage you with is begin to pray for them. And maybe you do. Maybe it seems like it doesn't have an effect, but keep praying. Send them text messages. Call them. Share it where you can, any way you can. Let them know you love them. God loves them. Whatever avenue or medium you can use, even now put that in front of them. For those of you with teens, look, it can feel really awkward, right? When you've never done anything spiritually with your children and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I need to do something and they're 14 and you're like, hey son, let's pray together. That can feel weird. I was talking to a guy the other day who got saved two years ago. He's in recovery, got saved two years ago. He said, man, I started doing a devotion with my, with my two daughters. I think they were like maybe 13 and 11, something like that. Probably got that wrong. But they were on up into like the teenage years. And I said, how'd that feel when you started doing it? He said, man, it was weird. I said, but what's awesome is that you pushed through the awkwardness and you did it. And now it's just a part of your life. It's not too late to start. It's not too late. It's not too hard. For you with children, do it now. We see the statistics. We know 
And don't let it be compartmentalized. First, you devote yourself fully to the Lord and then let them see it and then share it. As Deuteronomy says, when you sit down as you're on the road, wherever you go, I wouldn't write it on my forehead, but you could. You can do this. We can do this. You have the Holy Spirit. You have access to Jesus. You can abide in Christ. You can walk with him. And here's the amazing thing about that, that he promises that if we abide, that we will be fruitful. And for many of us today, it's a time where we need to, to realize that it's not too late, that there are things we can do and that we can begin to be the most important spiritual influencer in our children's lives. I want to really, really encourage you with that. It's not too late for you to have that impact on your children and even on their children. So I want to pray for us this morning that God would use us with the kids who are entrusted to us here at the church and also with the children he's given us as a family of believers. And for you as a family, that we would be and realize we are plan A for the discipleship and the growth and the understanding of Jesus in our homes. Lord, I thank you for this. Lord, I pray right now that as a church, we would be good stewards of these children, that we would lead them to you, that we would do nothing to hinder them from coming to you. Lord, I pray right now that um, each of us would be able to take some uh, responsibility for that, to be able to pour into these children, to these teens, to these college students, that they would grow in knowing you, Lord. They would grow in a relationship with you. Lord, I pray right now for the families who are represented in this room, or none of us get it perfect. I pray against any shame or guilt or condemnation for what has or hasn't been done. And I pray for courage to say, I'm sorry. I pray for courage to just take a step in the right direction towards their children, regardless of age. Lord, would you give us that courage? Lord, as much as anything, I pray you'll draw us closer to you that we would abide in you, that our lives would not be compartmentalized, but they would be integrated in our faith in Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you that when we become like children, dependent, humble, honest, when we come to you, you receive us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.